0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica.
1: And today I'm going to be telling you guys about two unsolved cases.
0: Today I am drinking cold brew from Bada, the best coffee shop in the world, and I stand by that. And it is, in fact, fantastic.
1: I am drinking a black coffee that I got from a local coffee shop and a grapefruit sparkling water.
0: I wondered what that was. What brand is it? It's Ollie brand. Oh, okay. I just yeah. didn't recognize it. Belle V. It's a pretty can. Yeah,
1: I like the cans, but I get theirs because it's a good price. And one of my friends lives with me, and her and I drink a lot of sparkling water, and they have probably the best price for the most amount. So we go through it very
0: fast, so that's usually where we buy it. You should look into a soda stream.
1: We've talked about it, but I've just never officially bit the bullet. Maybe well, now I have future. a gift idea for you.
0: Look at that. Did you not have a gift idea for me for Christmas? Honestly, I have done. Yesterday, I bought like two or three small things for somebody. But other than that, that's the only Christmas shopping I've done. Oh, okay. So my brain is just now working on Christmas presents because. Well, there you go. I have been busy and it just, it left my brain. So, yes, this week I've been, I went to like a craft show yesterday with local vendors. I actually didn't get anything there, but then we went to like some antique shops and I bought a few things and I've been doing some Google searching and I think I will likely go do some shopping at some local shops later this week because local shops have so many like cute craft things and decor items. They do. And so it's pretty easy to find stuff for people. I just have to like focus and do it, which is hard for my brain to do sometimes.
1: It is hard. I do agree.
0: I'm crafting ornaments for like my work department. Oh, that's fun. I went cheap, but it's fine. It's fine. I won't tell anybody. Except you just told everybody that listens to our podcast, if they're still listening. That's true. But I don't think any of my work people do. So, well, I mean, in theory, they're going to be kind of cute, hopefully. So we'll see. Well, when are you giving it to them? Friday. Because this doesn't release until the end of December. Oh, see, they're not going to have any idea what they're getting. And also they don't listen to this. (laughs) They probably don't even know I have a podcast, honestly. You're doing a great job promoting. It's pretty new to me, the podcast. The the podcast that we've been doing for the last four and a half years is new. Yeah, I haven't got I haven't really got a chance to tell people about it yet. Got it.
1: Yes. I, I do understand.
0: Okay, anyway. Um yeah, so grab whatever you're drinking and let's dive in. to pop in before we continue with the episode and update you on a few changes to the crime over coffee family we wanted to let you all know that our beautiful and wonderful editor mike will be leaving us at the beginning of next year he's going to be pursuing other life things we wish him nothing but the best he has been easily the best editor we've ever had and we have so much love for him and we thank him so much for helping us out this past year and a half But with that being said, we are going to be having some changes.
1: Yeah, we appreciated Mike so much. But we also really appreciate all of our listeners, everybody who has supported us from the very first awful episode that we published (laughs) back in 2019, 18, 19, until now, till 2023. We've been doing this podcast for four and a half years, which is absolutely insane. And so we appreciate all of you guys so much for listening and for sticking with us through all the changes that we've already had and hopefully continuing to stick with us through upcoming changes
0: yeah so we we don't want to leave we don't want to leave you all we really enjoy doing this erica and i love spending time together recording this podcast and so while we're losing our editor we're gonna try to keep it going but Again, we're losing an editor and Erica and I are not the most tech savvy people. So we are going to continue recording, but it's going to be cut down to probably one or two episodes a month. They'll still be released on Thursdays and it's likely going to be a little bit looser of a format just to ease the lift that our, again, lovely editor has been working through. So it's going to be a little different, a little bit more conversational, but we're still going to provide you with some great Crime content.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna do my best with the editing skills that I do not have to hopefully give you guys something to work with here. Some sort of good content. But I also wanted to update you guys on our Patreon. If you are already a Patreon member or if you have ever wanted to join, we're still gonna leave it up. We are gonna make changes to it though. We're not gonna do our bonus episodes at this time. Not saying that could never happen, but at this current moment in time, we are not going to be doing bonus episodes. So we're going to switch down to two tiers instead of three. So we will have a $3 a month tier and a $5 a month tier. Our $7 tier will just go mesh in with the $5. So the $3 tier is going to give you all of our episodes on that same Thursday ad-free. The $5 tier is going to give you all of our episodes ad-free one day early. Plus you'll get access to all of our previous bonus episodes that have ever been released. So that's kind of a bonus if you have not previously been on our $7 tier. we have got to put those somewhere and so those are just going to go down to our $5 tier for now. And so you'll get, I don't even know how many extra episodes, at least 24. So, bonus episodes. So if you guys want to check out the Patreon and sign up for that. You guys are welcome to do that. If not, that's totally fine. We just hope that you stick with us for these upcoming changes. And we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The first unsolved case I'm going to tell you guys about is Kelly Gaffield, who in July of 1995 celebrated her 16th birthday which, obviously, is an exciting time for anybody because what happens on your 16th birthday?
0: Do you turn 16? What does a 16th birthday signify, B, That you're a teenager? I'm going to hit her through the phone. <laughs> to be fair, I think we had to wait till we were 16 and a half, didn't we? You haven't even told the people what we're talking about. Driver's license, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but yes. I, I think had we did wait till have to wait until we were 16 and a half.
1: I think so, but this was 1995, so it was a little bit different. It
0: was probably the yeah, same. Um, yeah, speaking of, so, like, I guess in Iowa or at least some places in Iowa, you can get, like, a special, like, school permit when you're, like, 14 or something. And dri- oh, so wow. So you can drive to school and back. And I was like, Ugh. rude. No,
1: that scares me. That there's 14 <laughs> I don't even trust 16-year-olds driving. driving. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay well, I don't like that. I will not be visiting Iowa. I'm so sorry to anybody who lives in Iowa.
0: (laughs) You're not missing much. So
1: anyways, she had plans to get her driver's license. Obviously very excited. She also was going to be starting her first job soon. And so she was excited about that. Then on August 8th, 1995, Kelly left her house to go hang out with some friends around seven o'clock, which was really normal for her. I mean, obviously a teenage girl gonna hang out with her friends. So she gave her mom a hug and a kiss, told her she loved her and then left, which was once again, part of her normal routine. Her mom, Christine Riley said that unfortunately Kelly never came back home that night and she knew that something was terribly, terribly wrong because this was not like Kelly. If she had decided that she wanted to be out later, she would always call. She would ask. She would make sure that her mom knew where she was. And so Christine immediately knew something was wrong. However, something that I have struggled to find is why they waited two days
0: to report her disappearance hmm. if she
1: knew right away something was wrong yeah
0: if it's that abnormal you'd think they would report it immediately you
1: yeah you'd think now I so this the reason this case is combined in an episode with another case is because the two that we're covering today are a lot shorter and there's not much information so they wouldn't make a full episode and so I decided to do them separately but every website that I find every article all of the information I can find regarding Kelly's disappearance just says the same thing pretty much is you know she disappeared and they waited two days to report her disappearance but I can't find a reasoning I don't know if Christine was just like holding out hope like maybe she'll come back maybe she's fine maybe she's just out with friends or if maybe at this time, there was some sort of rule in the reporting realm, like you couldn't report a disappearance until they'd been missing for two days or we know how they always think, you know, 16-year-old, run away. So maybe she was just kind of like waiting and maybe she tried before that, but they wouldn't. I don't know. This is just what I could find. There were multiple reported sightings of Kelly up until September. So she went missing on August 8th And then up until September, there were still sightings, but nobody was actually able to confirm if they were authentic sightings, if they were truly her, if they were just people that looked like her. So there wasn't really much to go on with that, is what the police chief said. A couple months after she went missing, so on October 22nd, 1995, Kelly's body was actually discovered in a woods by a hunter this was the woods that she would typically hang out with her friends in so it it wasn't abnormal the other odd thing about this is that her cause of death was never determined but I'm assuming because you know it would have been like two and a half months that her body was out in the woods there was probably some predation and just natural decay and all kinds of things so it probably made the cause of death a little more difficult but I feel like that wasn't a terribly long period of time and where was this again this was in Webster New York I'm not sure that I said that at the beginning Ah,
0: okay I mean in New York can have some extreme weather so that's not super surprising especially if the cause of death ends up being something like strangulation where they didn't end up fracturing any bones or anything there's no way you could really tell
1: yeah or yeah there's a lot of different cause of death that could make it a little difficult unless there was damage to the bones. The theory that the police department went off of was that she was most likely a victim of a homicide, but they weren't really able to find anything to necessarily support that conclusion. So it is still an option that she died of natural causes. Maybe she got lost in the woods or she fell or something. It is weird that she would have been out there in theory hanging out with her friends and then just got left behind. Her family feels like they know what was ha- what happened. They 100% feel as though Kelly was murdered, most likely by somebody that she knew. Her aunt specifically came out and said that she feels like there was more than one person out there with her and she has a specific person in mind that she thinks would have done this to Kelly, which I feel like is pretty telling.
0: I think so, too. And that's what I was kind of wondering if they had looked into her friends that were with her or I'm thinking if they were out there often, that'd be a place where maybe somebody noticed that they were there often and were kind of lying in wait to attack her. Yeah, absolutely. If it was common
1: or other people that she went to school with maybe would have known that she hung out there and her aunt does feel, which once again, they weren't able to determine this, but her aunt does feel that. Kelly was most likely raped before she died. And so whoever she thinks did it, she feels like is capable of that. She also said that she doesn't know if Kelly died on accident or on purpose with this the person that she has in her mind, but she does feel as though it wasn't a natural death, but something caused by another person. Everyone that was working at the police department when Kelly was reported missing and when she was found is no longer there. They've all since either moved on or retired. But the current chief there says that they're still working this case. They're still trying to get justice for Kelly and her family. And that's really all the information that they currently have. So they're really seeking the help of anybody in the Webster, New York area or around that area that could know anything about Kelly's disappearance, maybe friends that were there or friends that knew her. So If any of you have any information or you know somebody that does that could potentially lead to closing Kelly's unsolved case, you can submit your tips to the Webster Police Department at 585-872-1216. so the second unsolved case I'm going to tell you guys about is the disappearance of Lorreen Ron. So 14 year old Loreen was living with her mother, Judith, in a third floor apartment in Manchester, New Hampshire. She was a student at Parkside Junior High. She was a good student. She made good grades. She also enjoyed hanging out with her mom and her friends and was just an overall social girl. In April 20 or in April of 1980, Judith in April of 1980, Lorraine's mom Judith was going with her then boyfriend to a tennis tournament out of town because Judith's boyfriend at the time was a tennis player and a professional tennis player. So they were going out of town for this and normally Lorraine would go with her mom and with her mom's boyfriend. But she decided that she wanted to stay home, and so she asked her mom, you know, would it be okay if I just stayed home for the weekend and hung out with some friends? And her mom was like, that's fine. It was during the week of spring break, and so her mom was like, you hang out with your friends, like, and it'll it'll be fine. We'll see you when we get back. On April 26, 1980, Lorreen and two of her friends, one male, one female, were hanging out in their apartment, and they were drinking some beer, some wine, just having a laid-back night. And the male friend said that he heard voices in the hallway. And so he got scared that Lorreen's mom was back and that she, he was going to get in trouble for drinking. And so he was like, I'm, I'm just going to leave. And so he left and he said that he heard Lorreen lock the door behind him and he went home. It was late that night around midnight when Lorene's mom arrived back home. And when she got there, she noticed that the light bulbs on all three Floors of the apartment building had been unscrewed, not just off, but like unscrewed, which was weird. And so it was dark everywhere. So she kind of like was making her way through the building. I don't know for sure if she was screwing all the light bulbs back in or if she was just kind of guiding herself with whatever moonlight there was. Then she got up to her apartment door and the front door was unlocked, which she thought was weird, but she just went inside. So immediately when she gets in, she goes and she checks Lorene's room and she sees her sleeping in her bed and she's like, okay, I'll go to bed. I'll talk to Lorene in the morning and figure out like if she knows what's going on, why the door was unlocked, all the things. So she goes to bed and then the next morning, Judith gets up and goes to Lorene's room again and notices that it's not Lorene that she saw sleeping in the bed. It's actually Lorene's friend who was sleeping in her room. And so Judith asks The friend, you know, where's, where's Laureen? And she's like, well, she went to bed on the couch. Is she not out there on the couch? And Judith is like, no. They also noticed that Laureen's clothing and brand new sneakers were in the living room. But the back door of the apartment was also open. So the house is just not looking normal. There's a lot of really weird things going on in this apartment building. Police initially suspected that Lauren was a, say it with me, runaway. Run away. Yeah, look at that. But Judith was like, no, my daughter would not have left on her own. She left her purse, her clothes. She left all these things home. Yeah. She just ran away naked. <laughs> I guess. Like, that's their thought process. Oh. Also, it seems like a weird time to run away, like, when your friend is there. If she's been home by herself yeah. throughout a couple days, you would think, like, she would have left. I don't know. There's a few things that don't add up. And Judith is like, "It w- she did not run away. It took multiple weeks before investigators gave up on the runaway theory which is crazy to me and especially for a 14 year old girl yeah but then they were like well okay maybe she didn't run away but maybe she left the apartment on her own and was planning on returning but then something happened and that's why she didn't come back is what they then finally went with so judith starts looking through things and investigating stuff and and she notices that three months after Lorreen has disappeared. So there's no evidence. There's no anything pointing to where Lorreen is. But she notices that on October 1st, 1980, she was charged for three phone calls to California. And she's like, well, I don't have any friends or relatives in California. Loreen has no ties to that area. She's never lived there. Like, this is weird. So they... She reports this to the police. They start looking into it. Two of the calls that had been placed were from a motel in Santa Monica that were placed to another motel in Santa Ana, California. There was also a third call that was placed to a teen sexual assistance hotline. And so there was actually Mm -hmm. a doctor that maintained this hotline. And at first he was like, I don't know anything about this or what you're talking about. This is weird. Don't ask me any questions. I was in 1980. Five years later, in 1985, this doctor changes his story. This doctor said that runaway girls, many, many runaway girls, would visit his wife at their home when they were running away. And he said that one of them was a young woman from New Hampshire. Five years after... Lorreen goes missing. This doctor's finally like, oh yeah, a girl from New Hampshire did come to visit us. The doctor then told police that there was a woman named Annie Sprinkle, who was somebody that worked with his wife in the fashion industry. And he's like, She has information about several runaways. Like, ask her. So authorities reach out to her and they learn that she's involved in the pornography industry. And so they like go through multiple of her films and videos trying to see if they can find Lorene, but they were never able to find anything, any evidence of Lorene being in any of Annie's videos.
0: Just like, sounds like to me, maybe she did have someone over who assaulted her and then she called this hotline for help and he was like, here, you can come here and we'll talk and help you, maybe do a rape kit or something like that, and then took advantage of her the sex trade is so prevalent it
1: is and it's so scary that you know these young girls thought in fear i mean multiple of them would have called this number and they thought that they would be getting some sort of assistance and then they go and it's the exact opposite it's
0: ironic i was just talking about this the other day because i was talking about women when they go on a run or a walk by themselves so i was talking about myself for example and i was on a run and i don't know the right word, like a, It's a area that there's a lot of people with money that live there. It's a nicer area. So they have like a security person that sometimes drives around and like the security person drove by me and I still was like, oh, maybe I should turn down a different road because we've covered cases where it's security people who are the murderers. And I'm like, I don't even trust security people.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, you just have to be so aware of your surroundings nowadays and trust every gut instinct that you have like it's always better to be on it not to be on edge it's always better to be aware and to walk away from a situation if you're feeling any sort of uncertainty than to risk it and it be a bad situation like I would rather walk away from something and find out later that I was wrong to have those suspicions than obviously not walk away and things turn out worse In 1986, so six years after Lorene went missing, an investigator ended up going to California and actually located the two motels that those phone calls had come from. Well, the one that it had come from and then the one that received it. And one of the motels was actually linked to a man named Dr. Z, who was known as a child pornographer. And investigators tried to see if Dr. Z was linked to that teen hotline at all, but they couldn't actually connect the two but it doesn't mean that they weren't connected in any way because it is weird that it was a doctor that was running the teen hotline and then a dr z was the one that was at one of these motels mm-hmm. then also in 1986 a man named roger marais as maybe how you say his name was a childhood friend of lorene's and he ended up receiving a phone call from a woman who said hey this is Lori or Lorene. And Roger's mom had answered the call and she was like, oh, I feel like maybe it was her, but they were never able to actually find out if it really was her. And I don't know exactly what all she said on this call. And they don't know who made the call. There have been multiple sightings of Lorene, potential sightings over the years, but nobody's ever been able to officially say that it was her her mom's also gotten a bunch of random phone calls over the years which i'm assuming is just like pervy creepy stupid people calling her which is so irritating to me but judith finally changed her number after several years from when Lorene disappeared she had left it the same obviously for many years hoping that maybe Lorene would call her one day but i think she finally just had to change her number because of all the calls and she wasn't ever getting a call from actually Lorene. An unfortunate thing, another unfortunate thing in this case, the boy that I was talking about, the male friend of Lorene's that was with her the night that she went missing actually ended up committing suicide in 1985. Police never found him to be a suspect. They never thought he was suspicious in any way. But whether or not it was because of what had happened that night or if there was some other trauma or or mental health issues going on at the time. I don't know. But it is just another sad thing to come from this. Lorene's mother has since moved to Florida. And she remarried. She also believes that it was probably her daughter. That placed those phone calls in 1980. In October in California. But at this time they have no real answers. To where Lorene is. Or answers to, as to what happened to her that evening. That she went missing. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Lorene, we will put pictures of her on our Instagram as well, or you can look it up. But if you are able to help in closing this case or giving Judith any sort of answers, you can contact the Manchester Police Department at
0: 603-668-8711. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.